Welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. We've been covering renewable energy a lot lately and how some claim it's cost competitive with fossil fuels right now. Whether that does or doesn't include a higher initial investment, not unlike many hybrid and electric cars, that's a new layer to the proposition, but the point is that renewables have definitely gained a ton of ground in the 21st century. For example, as renowned energy scientist Jack Kerford puts out, coal generated 50% of America's electricity in 2005, but it dropped to 19.8% in 2021. And apparently renewables will overtake coal as the world's top energy source within two years. And on today's show, we're fortunate to have Jack Kerford on the line to discuss the recent explosion in renewable energy and its future. So Jack, thanks for joining us. And I don't usually let guests gush about themselves, but you have quite the resume. So can you tell our audience a bit about yourself? Well, good afternoon, Jason. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Well, I graduated from the University of Oklahoma in 1976 when America was facing an unprecedented energy crisis uh, to our, due to our um, nation's dependence on foreign oil imports. Also, several OPEC nations had placed oil embargoes on our country, and as a result, crude oil rose from $7 a barrel in 1972 to $17 in 1979. Cars lined up for blocks just to buy four or five gallons of gasoline because the gas stations had limits based on the limited supplies. The prime rate interest rate rose from 10% in 1978 to the end of the year it was over 20%. And if you're, as you're aware, the current prime rate's about 7.5%. So America's insatiable thirst for oil and our nation's dependent on foreign oil imports was creating economic chaos across the nation. I actually started my career as a geophysicist with Mobile Oil, uh, now ExxonMobil in Denver, but my career took me around the world working with engineers, scientists, bureaucrats, ministers, and heads of state to solve a wide range of energy challenges and I've spent over 25 years of my career in Canada, Malaysia, Indonesia, Turkey, England, the Netherlands, Australia, and Oman, as well as traveling extensively, working with governments and nations in Africa, South America, Europe, and, of course, Asia. Uh, in 19, uh, 2018, I wrote my book, Fueling America, An Insider's Journey, and my purpose was to explain what I think is frequently discussed but a poorly understood topic, and that's energy, I'm principal for J.O. Kerfoot Energy Services, and I blog on a wide range of energy issues facing our country and other countries around the world on my website entitled Our Energy Conundrum at www.jackkerfoot.com. Very interesting. Now, at the outset, how cost-competitive are renewable sources with coal right now? Well, the first thing, when we talk costs, unfortunately, you hear a lot of reports about what is cost-effective and what is not. But to do a fair basis, what you need to do is look at the levelized cost of energy, which we call an LCOE. And that measures the lifetime cost of a utility-scale power plant divided by the energy produced without any subsidies by the federal estate. So onshore wind in 2021, according to studies by the Lazard Bank and also the U.S. Energy Information Agency, ranges from about 2.6 cents per kilowatt hour to 5 cents per kilowatt hour. Solar, 2.8 cents to 4.1 cents per kilowatt hour. Now compare that to coal, 
and coal is 6.5 cents to 15.5 cents per kilowatt hour. So the variations usually depends on such things as, in the cases of renewables, it's the variability of the wind. In some areas are much stronger winds, like the Great Plains states, so those have got a much lower cost. And also the sunnier areas, which have a more uh, <coughs> robust uh, radiant heat, usually have very low costs for solar. But right now, solar and wind are a third to a half the cost of coal or power from coal. And, and now you mentioned a couple of reasons why that might be so. Could, could you expand upon that a little bit? Why is generating coal, uh, generating electricity from coal so much more expensive than wind or solar? Well, we have to get a little bit of detail here because when we talk about coal, there are actually four grades of coal. And it's important to understand when we talk about power what we're, what we're really saying. There are four grades of coal, and that's based on the carbon content and also which impacts the energy capacity of each of the four grades of coal. The highest quality coal is anthracite, and that has a very high coal uh, carbon content, about 86 to 97%. And it's primarily used in metallurgy, and it's only mined in Pennsylvania because all the other areas that there was anthracite have been effectively mined out, and that points to one of the issues with coal. It's also very expensive. It's sold, sold for in 2021 for about $107 per ton. Next is bituminous. Carbon content is lower, which means it puts out less energy. And in 2021, approximately 45% of the coal in the U.S. was bituminous. It's primarily used in electricity generation and also making coking coal for iron and steel. Now, the coal in this in bituminous is primarily in the eastern U.S., in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, and Illinois. And the average price of this coal is about $61 per ton. Now, <clears throat> because of the range of bituminous is so wide, from 45% carbon content to 86 Obviously, the higher carbon content goes for a higher price. The lower content goes for a lower price. But when we have a lower carbon content of coal, that means it takes more coal to ship to the utility to generate the same amount of power, which means a higher transportation cost. Next is subbituminous. It's about 35 to 45% in carbon content, and approximately 46% of the coal in the U.S. was subbituminous primarily mined in states like Wyoming and Montana, which means open pit mining, and it sells for about $14, $15 per ton. Now, the low-cost subbituminous may be more costly, but again, it requires additional transportation to generate the same type of power or for electricity. And the lowest-grade coal is lignite. It's about 25 to 35% coal, and only about 8% of the coal mine in the U.S. is lignite. It's mined in places like North Dakota and Texas. It sells for about $20 a ton. And the reason it's a little higher is a lot of the coal plants, well, any of the coal plants are designed for a specific coal type. So it's supply and demand. So because of the coal plants that are set up, the demand is a little higher than it is for subbituminous. So we have to realize that if we look at what was the average cost of coal sold to electric power plants in 2021? It was about $32 per ton. And if we include the transportation costs by rail, truck, and 
by barge even, it runs about $37, $38 a ton, so a 5 or $6 add-on for transportation. Now, when we also talk about costs for coal, we have to realize that coal plants face an additional liability from burning coal, which creates coal ash. <clears throat> the United States Environmental Protection Agency requires that coal ash be secured to ensure that it does not leak into the groundwater because coal ash contains arsenic, mercury, and lead, which is highly toxic. Now, in 2019, coal ash was documented to have leaked into groundwater in over 240 coal-fired power plants across America, open coal plants or operating coal plants and also closed coal plants. So we have to realize that contamination impacts not only people that use well water, but also water that goes for irrigation of crops and also for animals. We also have to realize that when we talk about coal, no fossil fuel is renewable. So coal mines close when they're no longer economic, which will cause the supply of coal to decrease and the cost of the commodity to increase accordingly. Now, in 2000, and 2000 there were 2,100, or a little over that, operating coal mines. But 20 years later, 2021, there were only 970 operating coal mines. So if we talk about transportation costs, reducing supply, all of this drives up the cost, and that's why utilities have been aggressively moving from coal to renewables and also natural gas. Natural gas generates about 40 to 45 percent less emissions than coal, which is one of the reasons that utilities have made the move from coal to natural gas and obviously renewable energy. Okay, let's pivot for a moment. We hear a lot about green versus clean renewable energy. Can you explain the difference between the two? Well, there's a, some rather ferocious debates on what is the right type of energy. But when I use the term renewable energy, I'm referring to energy sources that are continually and naturally renewed, such as wind, sun, or water. By comparison, fossil fuels are not renewable, and the burning of fossil fuels obviously generates CO2, which is a major component in global warming and climate change. Now, the difference between renewable energy and green energy is not all renewable energy is considered green. Green energy does not generate greenhouse gases or pollution. So green energy includes wind, solar, geothermal, and low-impact hydro. Renewable energy sources that are not considered green include hydropower from large dams because they block the migrating fish, they impact water flows, and also when there is a decrease in water temperature, we can see the actual water temperatures, water temperatures increase dramatically, which impacts the fish in the rivers and in the reservoirs. Also, silt content in rivers and dams build up. Another form of renewable energy that's not green is biomass, which is burning of, for instance, wood products uh, or made into fuel from wood products or waste to energy because, again, we're gen generating CO2 from the, the burning of these uh, <clears throat> biomass products. The third type of energy, just to make this more confusing, is clean energy, 
which does not produce any greenhouse gases but is not considered green, and that would be nuclear power plants. They don't produce any CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions, <clears throat> but the, nuclear, the electricity generated from nuclear energies may be clean, but obviously nuclear waste disposal is not considered environmentally friendly. So I've heard some very heated discussions on green energy versus clean renewable energy. But when I hear these discussions, I think back to my days in university when I had a professor who said, don't study for the wrong test. In my opinion, our focus should be on the relentless reduction of greenhouse gas emissions now, not legislation that mandates greenhouse gas emissions 10 to 30 years in the future. As an example, I think it's important to look at the states across the U.S. that are really having success at reducing these emissions, but also to look at those that have made decisions that are perhaps not optimum at achieving our goal of reducing emissions. So let's look at New Jersey and Massachusetts. Now, in November 2022, which is the most recent data from the U.S. Environmental Energy Agency, New Jersey generated 52% of their electricity from zero-carbon energy sources, which do, do included renewables like wind and solar, but also nuclear. And the state has recently implemented clean energy policies that will achieve a carbon-free power sector before 2035. They now believe they can achieve this by 2030, so in seven years. They've been a leader in the development of offshore wind. They've developed a wind turbine port, which will allow the wind turbines to set up and establish, build the wind turbine itself before they're towed offshore. They've also improved legislation to accelerate the permitting process to lay the cables from the offshore wind, uh, wind farms through the beach into the power grid, which is a formidable challenge in most areas. So they've made real strides in reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and they're on track to be net zero electricity uh, carbon sources by 2030. Massachusetts, on the other hand, generated in November only 21% of the state's electricity from zero carbon sources. In 2018, the state's only nuclear power plant, which generated 35 to 40% of the electricity, was closed. But what they did was they replaced that power with natural gas. So since 2019, they're projected the, their greenhouse gas emissions have steadily increased. Also, the state does not actually have a goal of being 100% of uh, zero carbon <laughs> until 2050. So their long-term goals are, are should be uh, are, are wonderful, but the reality is what they're doing in the interim time. And that interim time is actually causing greenhouse gas emissions. So one of my key messages is states must learn to investigate before they legislate. Yeah, there you go. Well, in New Jersey's not all bad. <laughs> anyway, be, before I let you go, Jack. Oh, let's touch on current events for a second. We've seen a mini little coal renaissance in Europe as a result of being cut off from Russian oil and natural gas. Well, will further development of renewable energy prevent situations like that, or will there always be a need for coal and other fossil fuels for certain applications? Well, I think we have to realize that because of the, the invasion of Russia into the Ukraine, um, <clears throat> that was precipitated major changes in their power grid system. Their whole 
supply chain was of energy was turned on its head because so much of the power was being supplied in Europe by cheap Russian gas. Now, ironically, um, states, uh, countries like Germany and some of the other EU countries had taken a position of being against nuclear, although France, also in the EU, took a position of being pro-nuclear because they wanted to make sure they had zero carbon energy sources and also a steady supply. So what we're seeing now is coal being used or coal plants being maintained in Europe for the vast majority of the cases are really being used as what I call peaker power plants. When there is a coal spell that comes in and there's a dramatic surge in power or a need for power, instead of having brownouts or blackouts, they're using the coal to maintain the grid, to stabilize the grid. So we have to realize that all power plants or all grids are challenged by surges in power, whether it's for heating or whether it's also for cooling in areas where you have major hot areas. And like we had in the Pacific Northwest, we were hitting temperatures of well over 100 degrees from British Columbia, western Alberta, down to Washington, Oregon in June, where the temperatures usually are in the mid-70s, we were hitting 100 to 120 degrees. So obviously when that happens, then the ramp up and for air conditioning or the ramp up and for heating when we have dramatic drops in our temperatures have to be there has to be adequate amount of power and they must be able to power source to ramp up. But renewables can achieve this as long as we put ourselves on a steady path going forward. But the real issue with coal, quite candidly, is one country. In 2021, the People's Republic of China consumed 2.9 billion metric tons of coal, which represented over 50% of the total global coal consumed. And coal is still being consumed in increasing quantities in China. So China is the primary culprit for coal consumption right now. And because of their struggling economy, they're maintaining and actually growing their coal plants because they're continuing to mine extremely low-grade, sulfur-rich coal to maintain employment, and also for them it's a domestic commodity so to help their economy. So unfortunately, Europe uh, is, although still struggling to break completely free of coal, is still doing a good job of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but uh, other countries like China uh, are doing, I'm afraid, they're now generating what I'm reading data well in excess of 40% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions are coming from China. Well, anyway, thanks, Jack. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and to our audience. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe and healthy and have a great day.